You're listening to A Sure Hope with Pastor Dave Shank of Calvary Chapel, Cape May in Cape May, New Jersey. Join us as Pastor Dave teaches verse by verse through God's Word. where I'm going with this. David was wise enough to receive it, but Joab said it first. And guess what? We need friends like Joab. We need friends like Joab who will come to us and tell us the truth, even if it's harsh and hurts. This is the truth, David. You're doing this. We need friends like that. I don't need yes people. I don't need people surrounding me who are yes, 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 magnificent, oh, great, but I don't need that. I need people to keep me honest and to tell me when the things are right, or if I'm wrong, tell me. In today's message, Pastor Dave will remind you that it's important for Christians to have good, godly friends. Sometimes we can get a little sidetracked in life. We can go off the beaten trail, so to speak. The kind of friend who will lovingly guide you back towards truth is exactly what every believer should hope for. Now, here's Pastor Dave in the book of 2 Samuel chapter 19, as he continues his message, Restored Again. hardest thing I ever had to do, well, I thought it was the hardest thing until last July, two Julys ago, the hardest thing I ever had to do was the day after we lost Pastor Frank, that very day after, as I stood there and watched him die, that day after it, I stood here and gave a message. Hardest thing I ever had to do until two Julys ago. A leader leads. I'm not trying to pat myself on the back. I am not doing that. I'm telling you that this is what they see in David. They needed a leader. Churches need leadership. Someone said, if you have have an anointing on your life, you do not have the right to pout and whimper. Why, I'm not sure I agree with this wholeheartedly. It has some merit. And I've told some of you who come to me and go, gee, Pastor Dave, how are you doing? I'm doing fine, but you don't know what happens at my house when I'm all alone. You don't know what happens. You don't know what happens when I'm home home with my wife. But you've kept me going. Just the fact that you were going to be here keeps me pushing forward and studying so that we can present God's word to you. And as a church, we have moved forward. We have moved forward. The scripture says, forgetting what's behind and pressing on to the high goal of Christ Jesus. We move forward. Oh, we remember those who have gone on before us. Yes, we do. We remember them every day. But as a church, we need to be moving. A church that doesn't move forward stagnates. Church must move forward towards Christ. Satan wants to keep us down. Satan wants to cause the church to go into mourning and defeat, just like he wanted the people of Israel to do nothing but mourn and mourn and mourn. He uses discouragement, he uses depression, and he tries to throw us off balance. He wants to see the church suffer, to lose focus, and to become ineffective in sharing the gospel. So he attacks the leadership with multiple problems to see if he can throw the leadership into a tizzy and try to keep his focus off Christ. We cannot allow that to happen, no matter what. Because 
What we're suffering now doesn't compare to the glory that awaits us in that throne room that we talked about. Nothing compares to that. Nothing compares to that glory. And grief can do that to you. Grief can pull you away. Grief can sidetrack you and put you in a place where you don't want to be. And I'm not minimizing anybody's grief. And I'm going to tell you when it is that you don't grieve and when you don't not grieve. I'm not saying any about that because everybody grieves differently. We all should grieve and you all will grieve. It's something that has to happen after a death. But we don't grieve as those who have no hope. We have the hope of Jesus Christ and everlasting life, and that should be evident. And that's what we look to. It's the Lord who's moving us forward. The Lord is moving us forward. I think Peter had this in mind when he wrote in his first epistle. In chapter 5, he writes these words, beginning in verse 6. Therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you in due time, casting all your cares on him, for he cares for you. Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, walks around like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. Resist him, steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same sufferings are experienced by your brotherhood in the world. But may the God of all grace, who called us to his eternal glory by Christ Jesus, after you have suffered a little while, perfect establish and strengthen and settle you. I love that. Peter knew it. Peter said, you're going to suffer. Thanks, Peter, for those little while. I love those words. Little while. Little while. I love that. I love that. So David is caught up in his grief and he doesn't know what to do with it. He's caught up in his grief and he doesn't know how to put it or where to put it. And that's what grief does. It's a strange beast. It's a strange animal. And David is caught up in that, and he has no idea what he's supposed to do with it. Enter Joab. Let's read 5 through 7. Then Joab came into the house to the king and said, Today you have disgraced all your servants, who today have saved your life, the lives of your sons and daughters, the lives of your wives and the lives of your concubines, in that you love your enemies and hate your friends. For you have declared today that you regard neither princes nor servants for today. I perceive that if Absalom had lived and all of us had died today, then it would have pleased you well. Now therefore, arise, go out, and speak comfort to your servants. For I swear by the Lord, if you do not go out, no one will stay with you this night, and that will be worse for you than all the evil that has befallen you from your youth until now. Absalom comes in. Now, read that first, and you go, Yo, Joe, baby. A little harsh, isn't it, man? What's your, oh, Joe, the guy's in mourning. Yo, Joab, be a little gracious. Have a little compassion. Well, if you've studied with us, you know Joab's not a man of compassion. <laughs> he's a little, he's one of those dastardly deeders. Man, he killed Abner, and he was the one that killed Absalom. But he knew he had to do that. And now God uses this man. He uses this man to come to David in David's time of need. And yes, it's harsh. If you're the one grieving and someone says that to you, it sounds like he's saying, pull yourself up by your bootstraps and get going. Maybe he is. Sounds harsh. It sounds harsh, but sometimes God uses those kind of things. Sometimes God needs to smack us upside the head. Not really, but he needs to give us the old thunk and say, get going, come on. 
See, remember, David is the leader. He's the king, and the, he's responsible for the people. David is responsible for all the people in Israel, and he's letting them down. He's letting God down, because God has a plan for David. It was a harsh but truthful rebuke of David. After Pastor Frank died, that Saturday night, I was home, and I was in a tizzy, and the phone rang. First person on it was my pastor, Frank Ippolito. Wanted to know how I was doing, how I was holding up. And I said, I don't know what to do. He said, what do you mean? He said, I don't know what I'm supposed to do about tomorrow. He said, what do you mean? Tomorrow's Sunday. I said, yeah. I said, I don't know what to do. Should I have somebody come in and teach for me? He said, well, there are people ready to come down and teach for you in a heartbeat. He said, but I'll tell you one thing. You, what you need to do, you need to get in that pulpit and teach. I said, excuse me? He said, you need to get in that pulpit and teach. I went, okay. Two, three, four minutes later, I get another phone call. It was from Jerry Paradise, Calvary Chapel, Philadelphia. Can give me condolences over the death of Pastor Frank. And I said, Jerry, I'm in a tizzy. I'm, I'm in a quandary. He said, well, I guess you would be. He says, but what's the problem? I said, I don't know what I'm going to do tomorrow. He said, I can tell you what you're going to do tomorrow. You're going to get up on that pulpit, and you're going to teach the lesson that the Lord had given you. I said, and you're not going to worry, and you're going to be strong, and know that the Lord, by his Holy Spirit, is going to give you the words to say, and you're going to teach it. Well, to make a long story short, I did. I, to this day, can't tell you what I said, but the Lord had a plan. Now, after my son had passed away, I had already asked Mark to teach that very day. It was already planned. So it's like the Lord knew that my son was going to pass away. And weeks before, what, at least three or four weeks before, right? I had asked Mark, well, Mark, why don't you take a Sunday in July, take this particular Sunday? And he said, yeah. And he was, so he was going to teach anyhow. But I wouldn't let it say that I had to come up here and introduce him. If it's not real to me, how will it be real to you? If faith isn't real to me, if you can't see faith being real to me, it'll never be real for you, ever. Hard times. So what does David do? David comes to his senses. He, he snaps out of it and he goes out to the people and he sits in the gate. Why? So people could see him. That's his proper place in the gate. That's his proper place. Look at verse uh, 8. Then the king arose and sat in the gate, and they told all the people, saying, There is the king sitting in the gate. So all the people came before the king, for everyone of Israel had fled to his tent. They all came before him. Do you know what a rush this should have had been for him? Can you imagine what it was to see all the people come forward? That's what I'm saying about you guys. Just seeing your faces every Sunday morning. Seeing your faces in your steadfastness every Wednesday night. Seeing your faces on Monday night. Seeing your faces at potlucks, at the Beachcomber campground, over at the two nursing homes. Seeing your faces. It doesn't know what it does for us to make us so happy that you're struggling. Because I know your struggles. I know what some of you are struggling with. But to push through and let God be God. And let him do a mighty work in your heart. It's so encouraging. That's what David was feeling. It was so encouraging. David didn't feel like doing this. His feelings told him to stay locked up and go into excessive mourning. Yet David understood that the Lord was bigger than he. David understood that it wasn't about him. 
And again, I don't mean that derogatorily for those who grieve. I don't mean that that way. I'm talking about a leader right now. David knew it wasn't about him. David understood that. This is exactly what they needed to see. They needed to see, see the king where he belonged. When we lost Pastor Frank, what the church needed to see is me where I belong. They needed to see that. It had to be seen. At least in my heart, that's what I'm saying. David was sitting at the place of authority. This told them that their sacrifice was worth it. Then they appreciated that David could continue to reign. Joab's rebuke worked because Joab cared enough to say it. And that's where I'm going with this. David was wise enough to receive it, but Joab said it first. And guess what? We need friends like Joab. We need friends like Joab who will come to us and tell us the truth, even if it's harsh and hurts. This is the truth, David. You're doing this. We need friends like that. I don't need yes people. I don't need people surrounding me who are yes, 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 magnificent, oh, great, but I don't need that. I need people to keep me honest and to tell me when the things are right or if I'm wrong, tell me. That's what Joab did to David. I need people. We need people who are truthful with us. It doesn't do me any good to blow smoke at you and tell you everything okay when you're sitting your crazy head off. Doesn't do me any good. Doesn't do you any good. We need to know that the Holy Spirit can rebuke us. Now remember, when we come to somebody like that, you better be prayed up. You better be real filled with the Spirit when you come to somebody like that. And if you are, chances are the Lord's already working on that person's heart. So when you say this, they're going to receive it. But there's always a chance they might not receive it. David received it. David received this. Let's read 9 through 14. Now all the people were in a dispute throughout all the tribes of Israel, saying, The king saved us from the hand of our enemies. He delivered us from the hand of the Philistines, and now he has fled from the land because of Absalom. But Absalom, who we anointed over us, has died in battle. Now therefore, why do you say nothing about bringing back the king? So King David sent Zadok and Abathar the priests, saying, Speak to the elders of Judah, saying, Why are you in the last, why are you the last to bring the king back to this house, since the words of all of Israel have come to the king to his very house? You are my brethren, you are my bone and flesh, then why are you the last to bring back the king? And say to Amasa, Are you not my bone and my flesh? God do so to me, and more also, if you are not commander of the army before me continually in the place of Joab. So he swayed the hearts of all the men of Judah, just as the heart of one man, so that they sent his, this word to the king, return you and all your servants. God is restoring the nation together again. David is from the tribe of Judah. Naturally, most of them are on his side. That's what split the nation. Most of them were on his side. And some of Benjamin, because it was Judah and Benjamin, and then Israel. All of Israel, the other ten tribes. But he was restoring David back to his rightful place. And the problem was that most of Israel followed Absalom. But now that he was dead, they had to bury their prejudices and their animosities towards David and recognize that he was still king. There had to be order once again. But this wouldn't be easy. They fell back in two nations. There was bickering and arguing. How come you're not doing this? How come you're not doing that? 
These nations should have reunited, sent him an invitation to David to return him as a king. But no, their petty little arguments and their little things became ramped up to a big problem. David knew the difficulty that lay ahead, and he knew he must move quickly. When I read this, the only thing that came to my mind was, division kills a church. Division kills a church. Petty arguments. Pride. Tribal stuff. All these little clans, little click, these clicky things. Division kills the church. Friction between church members. Friction between church members and leadership. It can lead to division. When a church divides, Christ bleeds. We're his body. We're the body of Christ. And when a church divides, Christ bleeds. Christ bleeds. David makes Amasa the new commander of his army. Now, we're not sure if this was a direct hit to Joab because he killed Absalom. Maybe. But it was also a concession to those who had Amasa as their commander. It was a concession. I'll make Amasa. So they're like, oh, yeah, well, wait a minute. He's getting Amasa up there. Maybe we, we, can, we, can, we can do this. It was a good thing. What did it do? It helped David sway the people's heart towards him. This is also a good example of grace. David shows great grace to these people as he has before. David swayed the hearts of all the men in Judah, and there were his kingdom. You're bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh. What is interesting here is David doesn't force loyalty. David didn't say, hey, I'm king, you're not. Either follow me or die. He didn't force loyalty. He did not force loyalty. He didn't command it. One commentator I read likened this to our Lord Jesus. Now, we said from time to time that David could be a type of Christ from various times. Listen to what one commentator said, quote, God will not force his reign on us. We must welcome his reign, and he will not force our heart response. Our hearts must be swayed by the work of the word of God and the Holy Spirit. So you see a picture here. David allowing the Holy Spirit to work in these men's heart and sway them towards him. He wasn't forcing allegiance. God will never force your allegiance either. He won't do it. He will not do it. So David is now ready to come into Jerusalem. He's got to cross over the River Jordan and go into the land. Let's read 18. Excuse me, I lied. About 15 through 18. Yeah, there we are. Then the king returned and came to Jordan, and Judah came to Gilgal to meet with the king, to escort the king across the Jordan. And Shammai, the son of Gera, a Benjamite, who was from Barahom, hurried and came down to the men of Judah to meet King David. There were a thousand men of Benjamin with him, and Ziba, the servant of the house of Saul, and his fifteen sons and his twenty servants with him. And they went over the Jordan before the king. Then a ferry bird went across and carried over the king's household, and to do what he thought Good. David's coming down. And once again, we see David coming out of the depths of despair. He's coming out of the depths of despair, possibly the lowest point in his entire life. He's coming back. He's coming back to assume what was rightfully given to him by the Lord, which is the rightful crown of Israel. He was coming back to be king. He re-enters the lands, and all of a sudden, several characters, and I use the word characters, from his past come back. They combat. The first person we meet is his old adversary, Shammai. Then Ziba and his 15 sons and his 20 servants all going with the king. You remember Shammai? Shammai was the guy that when they left 
Shammai was the guy. Yeah. And when they left, sorry, <laughs> Shammai, Shammai was the man that when they left Jerusalem, he was the one up on the hill cussing and throwing stones at David, you know, throwing things at him. Remember that? I love it. So Shammai comes back. So let's read 19 to 23. Now Shammai, the son of Gerah, fell down before the king when he had crossed the Jordan. Then he said to the king, do not let my lord impute iniquity to me, or remember what wrong your servant did on the day that my lord left, uh, Lord king left Jerusalem, that the king should take it to heart. For I, your servant, know that I have sinned. Therefore, here I am, the first to come to you from all the house of Joseph to go down and meet my lord the king. But Abishai, the son of Zeruiah, answered and said, Shall not Shammai be put to death for this, because he cursed the Lord's anointed? And David said, What have I to do with you, you sons of Zeruiah? that you should be adversaries to me today. Shall any man be put to death today in Israel? For do I not know that today I am king over Israel? Therefore the king said to my, you shall not die. And the king swore to him. So, Shammai. Shammai comes. Now, did Shammai throw those things and cuss at David because he thought Absalom would win? Possibly. But all of a sudden he's turned a different tune. Now he knows that David is the true king, so he comes and he says the three hardest words in the English language. I have sinned. Now I'm thinking about this. Did he say them like Fonzie used to say, I love you? Did he go, I is, is, uh, couldn't get the words out? Remember when Fonzie would try to say, I love you to a girl, he'd go, I love Is that what Shammai was doing? I, I, he said, I sinned against you, David. I, I've sinned. I love that. Think about it. Every one of us has been in Shammai's shoes at one point or another. Every one of us has been in Shammai's shoes, especially in our Christian walk. There have been times when we've said something or done something that we should not have done, and we have easily offended someone. We know that what we did was wrong. We know the other person was offended. So what do we do? Well, the proverbial tennis ball is in our court. What do we do? It's our move. We can hope that they forget about the offensive words and the actions, or we can come to terms with the fact that we were wrong. What makes it even tougher is when we know we're 100% wrong. But it's time to walk up, fess up, own up, and say, I'm sorry. Forgive me. I was wrong. This is very hard to do because pride becomes a factor. Pride becomes a factor. You don't know if the person that you're apologizing to is going to accept your apology. You don't know what their answer is going to be. But this is where Shammai is right now. And now it's David's turn. Shammai prostrate himself in front of David. He puts him down on the ground, bows before him and says, King, I've sinned, I've sinned. David could have easily said, off with his head. Very easily. I mean, Abishai was ready. He's going, come on, Lord, come on, let me get it. Abishai wanted to kill him the last time they met, remember? Abishai couldn't wait. Some of those guys just wanted to swing that sword, man. They didn't care. Abishai wanted to do it. Let me kill him. David said, no way. David, remember what this guy said? He cursed at you and threw stones. He wasn't swayed by Abishai's counsel to kill the man. And he wasn't swayed by Shammai's taunts and cursing either. Remember that. You are a sure.
The book of 2 Samuel continues the story of King David as he's finally able to ascend the throne. Though he seemed to have achieved God's calling on his life, David's journey wasn't free of problems. David was still human, and he made mistakes that affected him and those he loved. But during the rest of his life, no matter where it took him, David remained a man after God's own heart. When confronted with his sin, David consistently turned back to his heavenly father, confessing and asking for forgiveness. David knew he wasn't perfect and that he needed the mercy only God could provide. Today, we hope you too remember that God's mercy is worth seeking. He's provided for you the grace you need to live free from your sin through the blood of Jesus. Jesus came to die on the cross in your place, taking the punishment your sins deserved. Would you like to know more about having your sins forgiven? Please visit our website then, assurehoperadio.com. Click on How to Be Saved to learn all about what Jesus has done for you and why you need His grace in your life. If you still have questions or would like us to pray with you, please don't hesitate to call us, 609-884-5821. Again, that number is 609-884-5821. We're so glad you tuned in today. You can hear more messages like this from Pastor Dave at our website as well. Just click on podcasts slash radio when you visit assurehoperadio.com. Thanks for joining us today on Assure Hope.